welcome this evening. Welcome to everyone. Glad to have you with us this evening. And if you're watching us online, we welcome you this evening, wherever you may be. And um, I'm feeling a little claustrophobic this evening. <laughs> Y'all have all go. F Thank you. Thank you for giving me some company here. I, I, the Anglums have changed zip codes. Man, uh, so uh, praise God. Amen. Well, I want to continue or feel to continue what I started with last week. So I want to read just a couple of verses from last week to refresh you, and we will use that as uh, our starting point this evening. So, um, First John chapter number two. I think I've, I think I'm, I think I did what I'm supposed to do. I think. Ladies and gentlemen, from Arnold, Maryland, the iPad expert. I had done the same, I promise you, God is my witness. I did the exact same thing he did. <sighs> It's like when you go to the, you know, take your car to the mechanic and the noise that it makes all the time, it will not make it. So. 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, not some, not most, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world, if I could say it this way, the things that are in the world pass away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Praise God. Father, thank you for another opportunity to be together in your presence, to worship you, and also to make ourselves available to you to speak and work in our hearts and lives. I pray that you would do that tonight, God. I pray again tonight that you would speak to us, Lord. God, I don't want to just take time. I don't want to just fill in space tonight. I want you to speak. I want you to work, God. I want you to minister to us. I want you to work in our hearts and our lives, that your work would be done, that your will would be done, that we would become more like you, more of what you want us to be, more equipped, more prepared for your will, your work, your purpose in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. 
God bless you. You may be seated. If you missed last week, you can find it on our various outlets through the website, etc., through the app. I would encourage you to uh, go back and listen. I uh, I mentioned last week a couple times the the book I was listening to by E.M. Bounds on prayer, and I finally made it through it, and um, if you could see me spiritually, you would see all the scrapes and bruises from the, from the beating that I took, and um, I, I have now started uh, listening to a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Anybody ever heard of that title? by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and uh, I, 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 he, this was a part of the book, and I found this. I was looking up, trying to get a little more knowledge of who he is. I know the name, slight bit about him, but he was a German theologian and resistor during the time of uh, Nazi Germany, lived from 1906 to 1945. So I want you to get this. The time frame he lived, 1906 to 1945. That's a long time ago. And, and, and that many years ago, he was saying this in the, in the 19, early 1900s. Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance. Let me remind you, repentance is not an apology. Repentance is not a, oh, my bad, I messed up. Repentance is a change of heart. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. So he says that cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. There are some things that I think we feel like, and I think especially maybe maybe some of this is more so from a, a pastoral perspective. I don't know. But there, there seems to be some things we, we feel like we're dealing with that are new. They're new problems. They're new issues. They're, they're new challenges. And, and, and they're not new. Cheap grace is what we hear preached today that we think is some new thing because of television preachers. And in the early 1900s, before the internet, before all of that, he's talking about cheap grace. Forgiveness without repentance and, 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 and grace without the cross, with, without denying of self. The only, the only thing is, I do believe what we are, we're not seeing something new, but we are seeing something magnified. This isn't a new challenge. It's not a new struggle. It's just, it, it's, I think it's a little bit more magnified because of, 
because of the internet and, and so many different media outlets now that we are exposed to stuff. It was said in the meeting this morning, actually, uh, Brother Reaver referenced this, that, you know, that there, there's a lot of people these last couple of years been doing a lot of church hopping from your living room. Used to, church hopping was when you went from one church building, church service, to a different church. Now church hopping is when you click on one live stream and then go to another live stream. Well, I don't know about their singing. I like their singing. I, I, I'll listen to this message as long as I like it, but if I don't like that, I know I can find some somewhere that's going to be something that I want to hear. That's cheap grace. And it's, it's getting us into big trouble. And, and so, in, in the context of, of, of these verses and what, what John says, the, the, that all that is in the world, all, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, all of it is not good. And it all passes away. And the only thing that lasts, the only thing that remains is is those that do the will of the Father. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse number 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y. That means completely, all of you. You got to pay attention when you read. You got to pay attention when you quote. You got to pay attention when you preach. Because in in Romans eight twenty eight it says that we should, or excuse me, Romans twelve and one that we should present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. But there it's not W H O L L Y. There it's H O L Y, separate, set apart. But here Paul is saying, I am I am praying that the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely. And I pray God, and, and here it is, here's the whole that Paul is talking about. I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, what Paul is saying here, I'm not just praying that your soul is blameless. Not just praying that your inner man. I'm praying that your whole being, body, soul, and spirit are blameless. The Message Bible says it this way. May God Himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together spirit, soul, and body and keep you fit for the coming of our Master, Jesus Christ. The Living Bible says, May the God of peace Himself make you entirely pure and devoted to God. Entirely pure. Not partially pure. Not a third of you pure. Entirely pure and devoted to God. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept strong and blameless until that day when our Lord Jesus Christ comes back again. 
I am praying that your entire being, all of you, body, soul, and spirit, I, I don't have time to get into it if you're not really familiar with it, but you and I are made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Well, I guess we must be three separate co-equal parts then. Just throw that out there. That's why, just, just again, if you're not really familiar with this, just to try to help you out quickly, that's why at, at, a, at a graveside, at least at an apostolic graveside, what often gets done at the committal is it will be said that I, I commit the body of whoever the person is back to the earth from which it came. I commit the spirit which is the life, the breath of life, back to God which gave it. And I commit the soul into the hands of a just and a living God. Because the real you is your soul. Your external is not the real The real you is your soul. That's why you can look at somebody... And, 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 and you, you may look at their, their looks, and by their looks you make some, some assumptions. There, there are some people, we, we've got, there, there's a person in the last 50 years of this church's history that I've been, they're, they're, they were newer at some point. <laughs> and, and I've been told by several sources that they really like us. They really like what happens in a service? If you were to look, in fact, the first two or three times they came, whenever they came, my, my natural mind is saying, oh Lord, I don't think we're going to see them very much anymore. And next thing I know, I'm being told, what, they love it. Like, they love it? Are you kidding? I mean, that's literally... In fact, a couple of years ago, decade, whatever it was, when it happened, there was one service my wife was, I think she was home not feeling well. And I think she was one of the first sources I heard this from. And I texted her. I said, they're singing. I mean, singing in the sense of, Lips moving. I don't mean like singing. I mean, I'm like, if I were to judge by, because that's the body, the soul. That's who you are. That, that's, that's, that, that's, the, that's the, the sweet, kind, gentle person that all of you are. The soul is who a person is. It's, that's the who treats, that's, that's what treats somebody certain ways. That's, that's, the, that's the inner you. It's not the... All this is, what, you, what we see with our eyes, that's just the house we live in. That's why a person can go through some kind of terrible tragedy and, and their body be deformed. And, and, and yet they are still, they may not look like what they used to look like, but who they are may be exact. Now, they, as long as they don't get bitter and angry and whatever, who they are remains the same. So again, Paul says, 
I am praying that your whole body, soul, and spirit. That's not the sequence he used it, but I'm just, that's how we usually use it. At least that's the way I normally. I pray your whole body, soul, and spirit. So for those that want to say, when it comes to a relationship with God and, and being a Christian, that the outside doesn't matter, then Paul should have only prayed for two out of three parts. Paul said, I'm praying for all of you, your body, your soul, and your spirit. And, and so this, this, is a, this is a whole nother topic for a whole nother time. You could spend a whole series on this topic. But, but I want to bring it up tonight in the context of the verses that we read, that we started with tonight, that we read last week. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And, and, and I showed you last week that there was, I, I believe, there's a pretty clear correlation between these verses in John and what took place with Eve in the garden being tempted of the serpent and also what took place in Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Now, in, in, in the temptation in the wilderness, it doesn't quite, at least the way it relates to me, the temptation, the, the, the three temptations and the order of them don't necessarily match up sequentially to what John says here. But I believe when you look at what happened in the garden with Eve, that it actually was sequential. That it was the lust of the flesh, and then it was the lust of the eyes, and then it was the pride of life. And so I, I believe that these three things... Now, sometimes I, I, I've heard, I'm not trying to be critical, I've heard people teach and preach, and it was something like so deep, and you're like, wow, that's awesome, and that's so deep, and that's just, that's amazing. And you walk out, and you go, I have no idea what that even means. It sounded really, I mean, it, was, it was deep, but I don't know what the, I, I, I'm personally, you know me, you've been here, if you've been here, you know me, I'm all about practical application. I don't have my Old Bay and Chick-fil-A sauce tonight, but I'm all about practical application. And, and, and I'm just, just hear me for a moment as before I keep... The last thing I'm trying to do here is just wow you with some whatever. So, so hopefully it'll, the, the, the purpose will get out there. Because it's, it's not just, oh, look, look, we can, let's match up the lust of the flesh to the body and the lust of the eyes to the soul and the pride of life to the spirit. The reason I think it's significant that these three things match up, and again, and, and full disclosure, I know the sequence on the right there is not the way they're in the verse. But I, I, I believe the significance is the enemy is not content. He is not satisfied with just influencing a part of you. That just as Paul prayed for God to sanctify you wholly, body, soul, and spirit. The enemy is out to get you, body, soul, and spirit. And, and I think there's some principles, in fact, that I, I, maybe tonight a little bit, I can't remember exactly all that where I'll go or where the Lord will lead me, but I think that sequence is demonstrated in, in the garden when Eve fell. That, that because... God works from the inside out. 
the old song, we, I don't know how much we ever really sang it in church, but it got sang, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Starts on the inside and works out. The enemy is the opposite. He starts from the outside and works in. And so ultimately, he's not interested in just getting your body. And he's also not just getting arrested in getting your soul. He wants your body, your soul, and your spirit. You say, well, your spirit, if that's the source of life, that comes from God. By the help of the Lord, in a week or two here, maybe we'll touch on that. <laughs> that's why it's so critical that you and I don't negotiate with the enemy. Well, I'll give you this much, but I won't give you any more. I'll give you a little bit of space, but I'm not going to give you more space than that. Not the way it works. So he wants to find a way through your body, through, your, through the lust of the flesh. And we're going to talk about the lust of the flesh here a little bit this evening. But he wants to work beginning with the lust of the flesh because that's the, that's the opening that he uses to ultimately get to where he's trying to get to. I, I, I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again. I'm not sure exactly the way I said it, but the gist of the point that I made last week is I, I, I am so concerned that we have, we have developed such a casual attitude towards our walk with God. To our, 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 our relationship with God, to, to Christianity, if you will. It's just become, as I touched on last week, it's, it's just become the flavoring to our lives. Just makes life a little bit better. Jesus Christ did not come to this earth and die to just make your life taste a little better. That wasn't the purpose. We want to live figuring out how much how much can we tolerate of the enemy in our lives? You know, the, the, enemy's, the enemy's desire is not to show up in your life with a nuclear bomb. His desire is to, is to sneak his way in. He wants, to, he wants to get a foothold in your life before you even realize. He wants to start taking up some territory in your life, but he, don't want to, he doesn't want it to be done in a way that's a conflict. There's this, there's this outright battle that you know, because most of us, when we know we're in a spiritual battle, what do we do? We fight. We know the devil's fighting us. We fight back. We know how to do that. We're ready to do that. The problem is when, he's, when he sneaks his way in. When he gets us to, to give up just a little bit here and just a little bit there. So let's, let's look a little bit here at this first one that John talks about, the lust of the flesh. 
Barnes Note says this, the word lust is used here in the general sense of desire or that which is the object of desire, not in the narrow sense in which it is commonly used to denote libido, that word there, passion. The phrase, the lust of the flesh here, denotes that which pampers the appetites or all that is connected with the indulgence of the mere animal propensities. A large part of the world lives for little more than this. Jameson Fawcett and Brown about the lust of the flesh says, it's, i.e., which has its seat in our lower animal nature. Satan tried this temptation first on Christ. Youth is especially liable to fleshly lusts. I, I think kind of the gist, kind of the basics of fleshly lust is. It's, it's, it's when we are caught up in doing what appeals to our flesh without any thought of the consequences. It's just a matter of what, what do I want? What, 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 what am I interested in? I used this verse last week at the beginning, but I want to use it again here tonight. Galatians 5.16 Paul uses some similar terminology here with lust and the flesh. And he says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, like I said last week, this is not about sitting around stressing out over, I don't want to do wrong, I don't want to do wrong, I don't want to sin, I don't want to mess up, I don't want to make a mistake. If you will focus on what you're supposed to do, if you will focus on walking in the Spirit, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. But, but here, and this, this ties in to the, the point I made just a moment ago that I also made last week. Paul says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. This is a battle. This is a conflict. That's why we can't treat it so casually, so haphazardly. There is a conflict that is going on. There is a battle between the flesh and the Spirit, and it's an ongoing battle. Amplified says it this way, verse 16, I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. Then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh, of human nature without God. Well, the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Holy Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are opposed to the flesh, godless human nature. For these are antagonistic to each other, continually withstanding and in conflict with each other, so that you are not free, but are prevented from doing what you desire to do. Today's English version says it this way, What I say is this, let the Spirit direct your lives and you will not satisfy the desires of the human nature. 
For what our human nature wants is opposed to what the Spirit wants. And what the Spirit wants is opposed to what our human nature wants. These two are enemies and this means that you cannot do what you want to do. And can I tell you this? These two will always be enemies. If you think there's some way you're going to reach a point that the flesh and the spirit become allies in your life, you are greatly mistaken. Paul, Paul, the apostle Paul, the things that I should do, I don't do. And the things that I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. Paul wasn't writing that as a brand new Christian. Paul wasn't writing that right after the road to Damascus experience. That was was a significant period of time later that Paul is saying. I don't know about you, but besides Jesus, besides Jesus, Paul would be the person to me that I would think would get it all right. If anybody got it right besides Jesus, Paul would be the one. I mean, significant portion of the New Testament, he was used. Some of the most important principles of living for God and ministry and the concepts of the body and and all of that, they came through Paul. And Paul says, I've got this conflict I struggle doing what I should do, and I struggle not doing what I shouldn't do. And I think that somehow I'm going to arrive. No. They are enemies, and they will always be enemies. They are enemies and they will always be enemies. I, 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 I read something in one of the commentaries in the course of my study with regards to verse 16. And Paul says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Notice what he says there. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Notice what he did not say. He did not say, walk in the Spirit and you will not have lust of the flesh. He didn't say that. He said, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill it. But He didn't promise you it's going away. Anybody here tonight besides me ever been through those times where you, you reach this point in your, in your prayer life? That it was like, and I mean this in, a, in this next part in a very positive context, that it was like it was on cruise control. I mean, you just, you were faithful to prayer. I don't mean just religious ritual. I mean, you were faithful. You had maybe your prayer time that, man, every day you were, you were, I'll never, the, the one of the times that stands out the most, and I am not, I, 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 the last several years, my body has been changing Used to, I struggled to sleep in, and now I'm, or excuse me, I struggled to get up, and now I 
you know, I've got a little free time and I have to force myself to stay asleep. And I hear it only gets worse or better depending on your perspective. I'm just, I'm not an early morning person. I'm not a lazy person. My, my friend, Brother Johnson, will be my, my witness for that. I'm not a lazy person. I'm not a morning person. And even when I'm now, these last couple of years, getting up earlier, I'm not raring to go. I can't sleep, so I get up, but I'm, and, and I'm definitely not ready to start talking. Of course, I'm nearly never ready to talk. Remember, I'm not ready to start listening. I, and so I say all that because years ago we were living, it was just the first couple of years of being married. We were living in an apartment in my parents' house in Harwood. Harwood, that's 20 minutes away where the house was. And we went through one of those seasons where some early morning prayer had been preached on. People were getting up, coming into church 6 a.m. or so, and I started doing that, getting up, coming to church. I mean, it was like, I, I, I don't remember how long, but it was several weeks at least I was doing that, and it was like, man, this is awesome. Whew. I mean, I wasn't even thinking, I'm, I'm getting up doing it. And I'm thinking, man, I, I have now, I'm there. It's going to be it for the rest of my life. I have found the groove. Crashed and burned. I had someone ask me Sunday, they're, they're, they're newer, and they said, I, 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 I'm just struggling because, I, 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 you know, sometimes I got faith and I believe God and I'm trusting God, and then other, other times I, I'm doubting. Yeah, what's your point? Let me know when you figure out how to change that. <laughs> I had my son a couple weeks or a couple days ago. We were in a conversation. I, you know, a couple. Weeks, I was. I, I was doing. I had direction. I was. Uh, and and now I've lost it all. And and at least you're only 18 with minimal responsibility, rather than being 50 and the pastor of a church going through the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 you all, many of you have heard because I've, I, this every now and then I got a few candy sticks. Some people's candy sticks is the Godhead, and not me, man. My candy sticks is the down to earth stuff. I don't mean that wrong, but in, in, in one chapter, Elijah is on the top of the mountain calling fire down from heaven. He's standing down 450 prophets of Baal and another 400 prophets, I think it was, all, all by himself. All by himself. They're praying to their God to bring fire down and rain down from heaven, and nothing happens. And then now, and the next thing, now it's Elijah's turn, and he stands there. And I really believe that I, I know the Bible doesn't spell it out 100%. 
every detail, so just forgive me for using my imagination, but I really believe Elijah, when it came his turn to pray, I believe he just stood up in front of everybody. I don't think he screamed and hollered. I don't think he had blood, uh, his veins bursting out of his neck. I think he, I, I really believe he just calmly stood there and just began to talk to the Lord, and all of a sudden fire came down from heaven. Burnt the sacrifice, the altar, the wall. I mean, all of that. I, I would think, you would probably think as well, after that kind of experience, you'd be, come on, bring it on. Who's next? What's next? Come, you want a piece of me? Come on. And the very next chapter, not somewhere towards the end of the book or what, the very next chapter, you find him running for his life, hiding in a cave, asking God to kill him because the queen threatened him. He goes from a literal mountaintop experience to a valley like that. And so you and I think somehow we've arrived and we're the ones that are going to live never doubting, never questioning, never going through some seasons of... No. So it is with our flesh. Yeah, there may be some times where we've got it a little more under control than other times. But the moment you let up, there is a conflict that is going to rage because the Spirit and the flesh war against each other. And the enemy knows that, so he is continually trying to tempt you with the lust of the what seems like there. And, and by the help of the Lord, again, in the next week or so, I'll be able to continue. But that there, there, there seems to me there be a progression in these three things, and the lust of the flesh is more so the surface things. So that's where he's constantly trying to get the first step, the, the, the first foothold. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, I beg you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Well, we've got quite a drastic change in the terminology from Peter and the terminology from the pulpit today. Oh, it's okay. Just do the best you can. God's good. God's not really worried about this or that. He's not all that. And Peter says, I am begging you, abstain from fleshly lust because they war against the soul. It's bad enough when you hear it preached and decide to disregard it. It's a whole nother tragedy when it just doesn't get preached. 
We, we've, I, I don't know if I've ever said this publicly before, but I'll say it publicly this evening. We've done it. We've got it on the calendar for this year. We've done Made to be Pure for 10 plus years. Missed it the last couple of years with COVID. But we've done challenging our youth and young adults to live a life of purity and abstain from sexual sin, sexual immorality. And, and hopefully you are completely ignorant of it, but we have not been exempt from it. And there's part of me that says, why teach it? Why do it if it's still going to happen, if people are still going to live how they want to live, if young people are still going to mess around, if young adults are still going to mess around? Why do it? I'm saying that recently. We were discussing it recently, and I, I know as... As a preacher, as a pastor, one reason why, do it. Because the Lord told Ezekiel, if I tell you to warn them and they ignore the warning, it's on them. But if I tell you to warn them and you don't warn them, it's on you. And we're living in a day and time in which... The pulpit, figuratively, the pulpit doesn't want to warn the people, doesn't want to cross anybody, doesn't want to upset anybody, doesn't want to run anybody off. And, but not Peter. Peter says, I beg you, abstain from fleshly lusts. Stay away from it. Paul says in one place, flee fornication, run from it. So let's go back to the garden in in the context of the lust of the flesh. Genesis 3, 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Again, there's three parts there, and I believe those three parts correlate to the verses in 1 John. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. The message Bible says, the first part of that verse, when the woman saw that the tree looked like good eating. See, the lust of the flesh causes you to focus on the benefits or pleasures and disregard or ignore the consequences. I'm going to read that again. I don't think my grammar is exactly right in that sentence. My apologies. The lust of the flesh causes you, when you are giving in to the lust of the flesh, all you are focusing on is the benefits or the pleasures, and you are disregarding or ignoring the consequences. She, she saw that it was good for food. She saw that it was good to eat and disregarded what God said. It appealed to her flesh. She was caught up in what appealed to her flesh and therefore was no longer concerned or worried about what God said. How many times have we stumbled and fallen in our walks with God because we got caught up in a moment where we the pleasure, enjoyment, 
the excitement appealed to us and we disregarded what the consequences would be. What does that verse say? I think I might be able to quote it if I can't get all of it. Somebody hopefully will recognize it and help me out. But the scripture says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. How's the rest of that go? The hearts of the Son of Man are fully set in them to do evil. Because God doesn't smash you upside the head the moment you sin. Rather than you and I, when we fall and sin, and God doesn't send lightning bolts from heaven, rather than us pausing and going, God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your mercy that when I mess up, you don't just squash me like an ant. Thank you, God, that when I, when I make mistakes, you don't just automatically give me what I deserve. Instead, what our flesh does... Hmm. If God really cared, why didn't He do anything? If God really was bothered by certain actions or conduct, why hasn't He done anything? I personally don't think a good parent is a parent who instantaneously responds with discipline every single time their child does what they shouldn't do. I don't think you should let your child control you, but at the same time, there was sometimes I sat and watched, and they knew I was watching, and they knew they shouldn't be doing what they were doing, and they knew I was watching. And you watch this kind of calculated risk. Can I, can I keep going? I mean, I know he's watching, and I know he doesn't approve, but he's also not doing anything. It's like I told the story recently, I forget when that was, but not too long ago, Esther was like two or three years old, Elizabeth was four or five years old, I think Timothy had been, I think Timothy was a toddler, or I mean an infant, I think. We're sitting at the dinner table, and I don't remember what Esther was doing, but she was doing something, and it was funny, and Angie and I, and I think Elizabeth also, were cracking up, but it was something she really shouldn't be doing. I don't remember, it was something with her food or something. And after a couple of times of her doing it and laughing, I find that, okay, that's enough. She did it again. We laughed again. Okay, I said, that's enough. Stop. She did it again. We laughed again. And so finally I said, I will spank you while I'm laughing, but stop. And I think she stopped finally after that. Because God doesn't. I mean, that, that was the whole conflict in the garden. You're not going to die. It's another one of those things I, I like to just imagine the scenario, and I, I just imagine as Eve took that bite of fruit, I kind of imagine as she was taking it, her heart was beating out of her chest. I mean, the adrenaline was rushing. She was but she's risking it and 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 as she continues chewing the heartbeat begins to go back to normal wait a minute i don't see any consequences 
I don't, I'm not dead. No, not on the outside. But God works from the inside. And that's why you can live how you want to live and do whatever you want to do to disregard the Word of God and not seem as though there's any consequences on the outside, but you're missing what's going on on the inside. And unfortunately, sometimes by the time it manifests on the outside, the death is on the inside. It's pretty much too late. Look look at this. Look at this. Numbers 11 and 4. The children of Israel, they, they basically just come out of 400 plus years of slavery. The last little bit of time of this was, was even more intense. Treated more harshly than, than, than ever before. And, and, and look what happens. They get out there and the Bible says, The mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept and again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Now what? This is what the lust of the flesh will make you do. It will make you forget about the consequences. We remember the fish we did eat in Egypt freely, the, cu- the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides the manna before our eyes. What in the world? We remember the fish and, 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 and the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions. We remember all that. Is that all you remember? All you remember is what appealed to the lust of your flesh, the momentary pleasure, and you're forgetting about the fact that while right now all you may be eating is manna, look around you, you're not in slavery anymore. You're not in bondage anymore. I struggle sometimes hearing people talk about their testimony because I'm telling you, in my opinion, and I'll say it that way, but in my opinion, I've heard some, I've heard some saved people talk about their testimony and it comes across as if they really miss that old life. Are you kidding me? How have you forgotten about the bondage the slavery. We, 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 we remember what we ate. I mean, you know, let's put that, I think, kind of in 2022 terminology. Is, that, is, it, is there anybody else besides me that just 2022? That is just... Those were fut- that was a futuristic... We were all supposed to be flying around in spaceships by now. Crazy. You can now check it off the box. Why was I saying that? Jason, you've been out sick, so we'll cut you a little bit of slack for not bailing. Yes, there we go. Thank you. I I remember what we used to be able to watch. 
I remember where we used to be able to go. Really? Really? And, and look at look at look, look look what they say. Notice how, notice notice how they in verse six, they take these natural things, natural things, what they're eating, and they now say we don't have all that, so our soul is dried away. We can't do what we used to do, man. We are just dying. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We had to give up. We, what? That's the deception of the lust of the flesh. I just want to, I want whatever I want that's going to appeal to me, that's going to provide some pleasure, some excitement, and, and don't, I don't care about the consequences. why there's and I think again by the help of the Lord maybe in the next couple of weeks we'll delve into this some that there, I think there's a difference when it comes to sexual sins between sins that are in the category of lust of the flesh and sins that have become lust of the eyes there's a deeper level you go to that's why the person that's messes up in a moment of passion, that, that's not automatically the same thing the person that's involved in a spirit of perversion. Because one has gone past just the flesh. It's now taken over more territory. It'll come back in a couple months. might be enjoyable and exciting and Message Bible says it this way. God is a specialist. Not, these are different verses. Second Peter 2 and 10, but in this context, in the Message Bible, for the sake of time, God is especially incensed against these teachers who live by just, who, who live by lust, addicted to a filthy existence. They despise interference from true authority, preferring to indulge in self-rule. Insolent egotists, they don't hesitate to speak evil against the most splendid of creatures. Even angels, their superiors in every way, wouldn't think of throwing their weight around like that, trying to slander others before God. These people are nothing but brute beasts born in the wild, predators on the prowl. In the very act of bringing down others with their ignorant blasphemies, they themselves will be brought down losers in the end. Their evil will boomerang on them. They are so despicable and addicted to pleasure that they indulge in wild parties carousing in broad daylight. They're obsessed with adultery, compulsive in sin, seducing every vulnerable soul they come upon. Their specialty is greed and and their expert at it, and they're experts at it, dead souls. They've left the main road and are directionless, having taken the way of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophet who turned profiteer, a connoisseur of evil, but Balaam was stopped in his wayward tracks. A dumb animal spoke in a human voice and prevented the prophet's craziness. There's nothing to these people They're dried up fountains, storm-scattered clouds headed for a black hole in hell. 
They are loud mouths, full of hot air, but still they're dangerous. Men and women who have recently escaped from a deviant life are most susceptible to their brand of seduction. A watered-down version of Christianity that you just got out of the world, but you're going to tell me in just getting out of the world, I can kind of keep living like I'm in the world and that's okay. They promise these newcomers freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For if they're addicted to corruption, and they are, they're enslaved. Promising freedom, but living in bondage. I won't call any names to hopefully make it less offensive or whatever, but there was a... In the last several years, a fairly well-known preacher of a fairly well-known church in this nation sat down in an interview with Oprah Winfrey. She basically asked him the question, do you believe that Jesus is the only way? And as a Christian pastor, he wormed his way around that question, wouldn't come out and give a straight answer. Not too long ago, that's what happened to come out. He's living in adultery. It's kind of amazing those that don't want to put any restraints on others. It might be because they don't want restraints on themselves. Promising freedom. Promising freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption. There's a different way. There's a new way to live. Paul says it like this in Romans 13, verse 13, in the Amplified. Let us live and conduct ourselves honorably and becomingly as in the open light of day, not in reveling, carousing, and drunkenness, not in immorality and debauchery, sensuality and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and make no provision for indulging the flesh, Put a stop to thinking about the evil cravings of your physical nature to gratify its desires or lust. Make no provision. Make no provision. Make no provision. Don't sit there and scroll through Everything, if you're struggling with what you're watching, don't sit there and scroll through on Netflix praying God will spare you. Get off of it. Make no provision. If you're dating, not married, You want to stay pure before marriage? Make no provision. Don't see how far you can go without going too far. Make no provision. 
Why is it we want to open the door to things and see how much? I've, I've used them, it's been a long time since I've used them, but I've used them before. You're facing our house on the left side of our property. There's a fence that separates the our, our property from the neighbors and I don't know at what our house was built in 1952, and I don't know at what point it happened, but I don't know if it was the original owner or what, but I mean, we have got some absolutely beautiful flowers in our yard. We've got, I, I never, only thing I ever knew of azalea bushes before we moved to this house was azalea bushes in the front yard like that. We pulled up in late spring the first time we went to look at the house. It was late spring. It was already past the prime. I pulled up in the driveway, and there was still enough blooms on those azalea bushes. I'm like, yep, I'll take it. (laughs) 2020, you heard about my azalea bushes. We've kind of had this little bit of a quarrel in my family because we've got right out in front of the window that you've heard about on live streams. We've got all these bushes that actually kind of impede a little bit trying to use our garage oh well I've been told I need to trim them cut them back last time I checked I paid a mortgage payment (laughs) they're they're really I mean there's some I don't there's some other kinds of flowers and stuff I don't even remember what they're called there's some uh, what are those reddish maples or whatever in the backyard Japanese maples there's like four of them I mean I don't know they probably have been this way every this year they were just like on fire and that whole left side there was there's you can tell there was a bunch of azalea bushes there and lots of and some other flowers that were planted but for years years nobody took care of it And now there's some trees that at one point were blooming trees, some kind of beautiful trees that now, I mean, they got vines. They're literally as thick around as a baseball bat. And I've tried to, a couple times, I've tried to deal with a few of them, them, but the problem was in trying to get them out, I was damaging the tree. So the best option I could come up with to get as close to the source of it as I could and cut a chunk of it out so that there's no more life, but it's still, oh, Lord. It's still entwined. It's not alive and growing anymore, but it's still entwined. That's why I believe in the blood of Jesus, the grace of God. I believe in forgiveness. I believe in all of that. But you better not take the chance... Hear me, young people, grazed in the church, take the chance. that You know what? I can mess around a little bit and God will forgive me. Will He forgive you? Absolutely He will. But that doesn't mean there might not be some vines that get themselves entwined that you might not ever fully get the consequences of. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad right now. I'm trying to help somebody that still has the chance. There's a new way. There's a new, there's a new life, but you can't give provision. I went out there at the beginning, I think it was the beginning of this year, last year, 
when everything was still kind of dead, I, I pulled a bunch of stuff out, cut a bunch of stuff back. Thought, man, it's going to be a great year. And got to the end of the year this year, and guess what? It's all back. It's all grown back in because it takes more than just one time. That's why you can't make provision because the moment you make provision, there's a really good chance you're going to spend the rest of your life having to do maintenance continually. It's a whole lot easier to keep it out with the door closed. The moment you crack the door and give it any kind of foothold, you're now in a battle to keep it closed. Make no provision. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. And you hath He quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein... In time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of of disobedience. At one point, that's how you walked, that's how you lived. Among whom also we had our conversation in times past. In what? The lust. Of our flesh. That's what our conversations used to be about. That, that's what our focus used to be. In times past, that's how we lived. We lived according to the lust of our flesh. We lived motivated by the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. It's how we were, and I think it's the next verse, if I'm not mistaken. But God, or no, maybe they're here, it's you, hath he. What's the verse? Somebody help me, I got this. Is it but God? Okay. But God, who is rich in mercy. That's how you were, but God intervened. Why would you want to go back? Why would you want to go back? To what God brought you out of. Amplified says it this way. Among these we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh. Our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature. Obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind. Our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginings. We were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of His indignation like the rest of mankind. We lived obeying the impulses of our flesh. We, we lived giving in to the lust of our flesh. That looks like it's got pleasure in it. I'll do it. That looks like it'd be enjoyable. I'll go there. That looks like it'd be funny. I'll watch it. But God, the Message Bible says it this way, we all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. It's amazing. God didn't just look at us and say, you know what? I have had enough. I'm done. You know better. 
I put up with it long enough, I'm finished. And none of us would be here if that's the way he dealt with us. But he's rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. And you know what? I've preached it and I'll keep preaching it. That mercy and that grace doesn't get any less after we're saved. It doesn't. It doesn't diminish. But that doesn't mean we should take advantage of it. Let me see how much of the lust of my flesh I can give into and get away with it. Let, 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 me, let me see how much space I can allow but still be saved. Don't forget, there was way more to Egypt than some flavorful food. Don't forget, there was way more to Egypt than just having something else to eat beside manna. Boy, when the lust of the flesh is what's driving you, if the lust of the flesh is what you're living for, your perceptions aren't accurate. Your judgment isn't trustworthy. You ever, ever been around people, been connected with people that you, you, you observe them, you hear them, you watch them, and you, you start to go, man, they're, they're, their perceptions are just it's off. Just not, they're not seeing clearly. They're not seeing it right. They're, I'll tell you something, you don't get that way overnight. Don't get that way overnight. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that the scripture really clearly tells us. But I, I'm of the personal belief that the verses we read in Genesis 3, where Eve partook of that tree. I really believe that didn't happen the very first day she stopped and looked. I, I, I believe there was, there was some period of time where she probably walked past that tree and never even thought twice about it. God said, nope. I, but something began to gradually change. She began to ponder and open the door for consideration of partaking of what God said. And then finally she just says, you know, that, that's good for food. Isn't it amazing God's focus was, He says, of every tree... God says, of every tree in the garden you can eat, but of the tree of knowledge and good and evil you can't. You can eat of all of this, but you can't have this. What's the enemy make the focus? Enemy doesn't focus on all that you can have. The enemy tries to get you focused on the one thing. The one thing you can't have and forget about all that God says freely. You can freely eat of all 
Isn't it amazing? I'm, 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 I'm quitting. Isn't it amazing? You watch a to- it, it starts in a toddler. They can be in a, in a room where there's all kinds of stuff that they can have freely, play with, touch, do whatever they want to do with. And the one thing on the shelf, the one thing, the tell on the, 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 the Breckenridges, they're, they're, they were at the first young adult party. We had Friday night and Saturday, and they were at the first one, and, and uh, their son, William, he is, oh, I think he's here tonight. Yeah, mom and dad are home with the new baby. He's here. He is fascinated with lights. He can be occupied for hours with a light switch. He will stand there, light on, light off, light on, light off. So we had gotten a new tree this year. We'd had our artificial tree for years, got a new one, and it's one of those ones that it can be white or multicolored lights. And we had had it set up for a little while, and Somehow, in the course of that young adult party, he found his way over to the button. And I don't know what he did, but in just a matter of just a couple of moments, for the rest of the night, that tree cycled from white to flashing white to colored to flashing colored to back. Several times I went and tried to play with it to get it to stop. And a couple of times I thought, a couple of times I'd get it on the solid white and I'd unplug it real quick thinking, okay, that's got it, it'll set. And I'd plug it back in and a couple of seconds later here it went. But you could watch him for the rest of the night. You, you could see him every now and then. He was kind of eyeing that button. That's the, that's the way we are. We're drawn to the, the one thing. What does the enemy have you caught up in focusing on tonight that you're missing out on because you're a child of God? What's he got you so caught up in what you're missing out? Would you please pause for a moment and take your eyes off the one thing you can't have and get your eyes focused in all of the things that God has saying, I'm giving these to you freely. I, I, I quit with this. I said I was quitting, now I'm quit. The scripture says this, The thief cometh not, but to... Steal, kill, and destroy. That's the only reason he comes. That's it. That's why he comes. If he comes, that's what he's there for. And Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And the enemy is constantly coming trying to sell us a lie. No, I'm not going to do that. I won't. I'm not going to steal, kill, and do. I won't. That's all he does because that's all he knows how to do. 
you are not going to be the first person in the history of mankind who makes a deal with the devil that he does not eventually steal, kill, and destroy. Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight. God, I know that I speak tonight to people young and old that are committed, dedicated to their walk with you. I realize that the majority of who I'm speaking to tonight, they're, they're, not, they're not newborn spiritual babes. They're people that have been walking with you for a long time. But God, it doesn't matter how many years since we've been born again, how many years that we've been walking with you, we are still susceptible to being seduced by the lust of the flesh. The enemy is not going to give up. The enemy is not going to give in. He's never going to quit. He's always looking for an opportunity. So I pray that you would help us tonight, Father. I pray, God, that by your grace, whatever areas in our lives that we have tried to work to find some kind of compromise with the enemy that you can't take over, but I'll give you just a little bit of space by your grace tonight, Father. That there be a cleaning out, a clearing out, God, that you might fill up that space. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray tonight, Father, that by your grace you would you would give us the sensitivity to your voice and your spirit that we need, God, in those moments that we are, we are on the verge of giving in to the lust of our flesh and we're caught up with the pleasure that is being offered to us and focused only on the pleasure and not the possible consequences that somehow your spirit would get our attention, you would convict us, you would, you would get our attention, Lord that we might make the right decision, go in the right direction. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Amen.